Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Welcome to BWI Live. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. Our expert insiders with us, as always on Wednesday, Sean Fitz and Nate Bauer. But uh, it's busy week, lots of stuff going on, blue-white game coming up this weekend, so this is going to be your de facto uh, preview show. We'll have some more preview material coming up at Blue White Illustrated on YouTube as well, but uh, this is where we're going to sit down and talk about it. And uh, Sean Fitz has to get going because even more stuff going on today, so we're going to get to his thoughts here right out of the gate. Um, Fitz, blue-white game coming up. Um, I know that the answer is usually not a whole lot with the blue-white game in terms of like, what are you going to learn, but... What are you interested in this weekend? What, what, what's piquing your interest as we get towards the actual scrimmage where everyone's in the stadium and guys are tackling on the football field? Well, number one, the weather looks great. Um, pretty, pretty psyched about that, which means, I mean, to be honest with you, a good recruiting turnout, which is good for me and Ryan. Uh, check us out on Friday. Uh, but yeah, I mean, all eyes are on the quarterbacks this week. I don't think there's anything like I, I think there's a bunch of overreactions coming. I'm sure of that. Uh, Penn State's defense is pretty good. It has been a great test for these young arms um, and with decision making, with with placing throws and things like that. Um, and, and it will end up benefiting those guys. But defense well ahead of the offense right now. So I expect to see a strong defensive performance. Um, it's kind of twofold there. You've got the quarterbacks, you've got Drew and uh, Bo, and I think that there, there's a little step there between Smolik, although we have heard some good things about the way he's been throwing the ball in the second half of camp. There's Greg Pickle in the background of that that shot, by the way. Hey. Um, we've got uh, you know the receivers on the other end. That's my big question. 
James Franklin last night was he did not pull punches. Um, when asked about the receivers, he once again pointed to Keandre Lambert Smith and to Trey Wallace as the two guys that they can rely on. And then who else was there? No names, just uh, everybody else is involved in that race for the second spot. So it's clearly a one two situation. Then what seems to be a fairly large jump, and then you get to the next guy. I'd be curious to see if uh, Omari Evans is that next guy because that's the you know kind of the guy that we've heard a little bit of uh, sustained buzz on through the spring. So that's my big question is like, how much do you take away from this? Um, you, you, I think you're going to look at this and say, when does Dante Cephas get here? Um, mm-hmm. That's obviously a big step uh, in the next the month and a half. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with the, with the offense, uh, watched them at practice yesterday. I thought the quarterbacks looked good throwing the ball. Um, I thought that, uh, drew, you know, this and, and full disclosure here, I I've been on the defensive field the entire spring. Nate and I kind of switched yesterday. So it was my first time watching them throw like consistently nice breeze blowing. Drew was cutting the ball there, uh, well through it. So I was pretty impressed with, uh, with them just throwing on air. I mean, it's the portion of practice that we get to see. Excited to see how he does in the scrimmage. Um, excited to see him go against that secondary because that secondary is very good. Very good. So uh, those are kind of my thoughts on that. Um, you know, I don't know that we take a ton from the run game. Uh, you want to protect Singleton. You want to protect Katron Allen. You want to protect Olu Fashanu. Uh, you want to protect some of those guys that, you know, are probably not 100%. And you're going to get to see Drew Shelton. You're going to get to see a bunch of walk-ons at running back. So that's kind of where I'm at in terms of jamming everything into about three minutes. Um, there's there's a lot to watch. There's a lot to take away, a lot to overreact from, which is the best part of Blue White uh, weekend, and a lot of good weather and tailgating coming your way. We talk about the receivers almost every show. And I think James Franklin's messaging has been consistent. Do you think part of it is the pseudo psychology of like not singling anybody out to try and push the group higher? Or is it really just as as plain as it is like we don't really like we're not comfortable. I I shouldn't say don't like we we aren't comfortable yet finding a third guy and we want somebody to separate. Or is it kind of like we're not going to name a name because we want everyone to keep pushing. Do you think that there's there's some of that in there as well? Well, the man has a psychology degree from the East Stroudsburg University. So like clearly he's a master of this. Um, he would tell you the same. I think it's a little bit of both. I think that the the tiers are so distinct here that you've got two guys that you think you can count on. And then maybe you have one guy pop up with a great day in practice and then he takes a step back. I think that's kind of what we're seeing right now is, is guys that make plays and then all of a sudden have lapses. And that's kind of what you're going to have with a younger group uh, with Saunders, with Clifford, Evans. Uh, you could probably throw Malik Megan or Malik McLean in that group as well, um, because that's, that's kind of how it works for a young player is, you know, it, it's, it's learning to be consistent. It's learning how to get the most out of them. Marcus Higgins is, has been barking up a storm at them um, about ball security and just the little things that, that, that turn you into a complete receiver. So I think that it's a little bit of both. Uh, you have some, some, some very up and down performances from that group this spring. You've had some guys out there that have been banged up. So it's like the lack of consistency is what every coach is going to come back to. And that's offense, defense, and special teams. I mean, we were talking with Stacy Collins last week about special teams and that was the word that came up more than anything was consistency. So you're a young player learning to get through that. There's there's talent there. Like, I, I don't think it's a situation where they, they just have guys that aren't as good as they thought they were, but it's turning that into consistency, and that's that's a hard thing to do for some guys. Uh, while we got you, Fitz, I got two more questions for you coming up in just a little bit, but I do want to come to Nate. Nate, you were watching the defense, and and uh, going back to what Fitz said about, um, you know, the how far ahead the defense is over the offense, 
in that context, what are you looking for from the quarterbacks on Saturday? What are you trying to learn from that environment on Saturday? Specifically from the quarterbacks? Yeah, because I think that's what everyone wants to see is Drew Aller throw the football. So aside from it looking really pretty, like what what sort of things are you kind of keeping an eye out for with that position? Because we didn't talk at all about it yesterday with James Franklin. There is still a de facto quarterback competition going on technically. Yep. Like as much as we wink, wink, nod, nod, they're very consistent about that. So uh, what are you looking for from the quarterbacks on Saturday? Turnovers. Turnovers. Like, I mean, honestly, it, uh, they might seem, uh, you know, not to be that indicative, uh, right? Because you can you can get your get your way through, throw your way through a blue white game, and and not throw an interception, and maybe that's not reflective of how you've played all se- all spring. But I, I just think that in that condition, that's it's such a huge thing. Like in that environment, it's such a huge thing to see how these guys fare. Uh, being able to to keep the ball right I mean because I, I don't know I don't know that it's fair to judge how in sync the quarterbacks are with the receivers like I just I don't I don't know that they're there yet and I, I let me rephrase they're not there right. <laughs> they're not here that right now like I anticipate that the defense is much better than the offense as a whole uh, and will show that but the thing that I think is important specifically for the quarterbacks is don't fumble the ball and don't throw interceptions. If they can avoid that, it, it, I don't really, you know, if they complete 50% of their passes. I don't think that's the biggest deal in the world. But if they throw four interceptions each, like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, Fitz, same question to you. That's what I want to know is like, what, what are you looking for from the quarterbacks? What are you keeping an eye out for? Yeah, I think it's it's it, Nate's right with checked expectations. You're going to have overthrowers. You're going to have guys not on the same page. I, I think it's decision making. It's putting the ball in the right area generally, and uh, you know that's sometimes on the receiver, sometimes on the quarterback. You're going to have an incompletion that's thrown to the wrong shoulder or something like that. But is it the right read? Is it the right pass? I think that's the thing to take away from it, and that's something that we will. Uh, wring our hands about on live watch and then go back and look at it again and, and get a better sense of where these guys are making decisions. And I think that's the biggest thing. We've talked to Mike Yersich. Decisions is right up at the top. Like your ability to make quick decisions, your ability to make the right decisions um, just trumps everything else. So I think that that's one thing. The other thing here is is watching Bo Probula. He's going to be limited this weekend in terms of what he can do in his game because you're not hitting quarterbacks in a, in a controlled scrimmage. So he's a little bit more of a runner, you would use him more in a little bit uh, in his own read situation. So I think it, he's kind of uh, like held back. Uh, you know, the reins are kind of on him this weekend. So I don't know that you get the complete Bo Probula experience. You're going to get to see a little bit more. I think they're going to try and throw it down the field, get some people excited with yeah. Drew. Um, so I'm excited to see how that goes. And again, secondary is very good. And I don't, you know, that's first and second team. So no matter which, uh, which group you're going against, you're going to get tested. And like I said, this stuff is going to pay off. I think they'll be fine in the end. Drew took a big step last summer and in preseason camp, and I think that he can he can do that again. But I agree with Nate. I, I just don't think that they're there. This offense had a longer list of things that it needed to accomplish than the defense, So, which means the defense can get focused on the next thing. The defense can get focused on what they need to sharpen as opposed to what they need to learn and put into, uh, put into action. So um, excited to see it going in with measured expectations. Uh, there's, there's talent there. Like I said, 
keep your guys healthy, keep your, you know, keep Olu off the field, <laughs> keep uh, your <laughs> running backs. We're going to see a lot of uh, Holsworth and Tank Smith and Emil Davis, those running backs yeah. this weekend, which I'm excited to see them get their shot. Absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, be smart about things and, and go from there. I, I agree. And I'm just looking to see more passes from Drew Aller. It's just more information, more of my own assessment of his skills. Because I know that we can, you guys do a great job of getting the information about how these guys are doing in practice when we don't see them. But just from a throw to throw basis, learning more information because of the two, uh, Fitz, I think you make a great point about what uh, Bo Perbula does. I feel like that is more predictable. I understand that a little bit more. With Aller, his game is based on the more complex. This is why, in one way, he was behind Bo last spring is because his game is more uh, predicated on those downfield throws, making those good decisions, understanding, and then delivering. So I'm excited to learn more about Drew Aller just in every phase of, you know, all of those things. Uh, last question I got for you, Fitz, before we get you out of here, is you mentioned recruiting, and we're going to have all the information that uh, you know we're going to talk about in depth on Friday on our recruiting preview of the weekend. But uh, weather and uh, you know, I think a good time of year to be doing this. So, like, what is the impact of Blue White Weekend on recruiting in a general sense? Uh, it's it's one of the trinity there. Um, you get Blue White Weekend, Lash Bash, and Whiteout. Those are the three that you would you know essentially want to have most of your guys and if you go back and you look at the data for past classes that a lot of guys end up at the blue white game whether that's you know already is committed like a committed 2024 right now or like a 2026 guy so that that's where um you, you think about this is is you can put a lasting impression on somebody with an atmosphere like this there aren't too many atmospheres like penn states in terms of spring games because of the general exhibition uh nature of things um sometimes weather plays into florida's having their spring game tomorrow night Thursday night doesn't make any sense to me, but that's kind of, you know, schools approach this differently. Penn yeah. state has this as like a marquee, the marquee event of the spring. And it's, it's one of those ones where you want to get there, you get your guys together, part family reunion in terms of the commitments, part recruiting job in terms of getting the next guys in the boat and they're on a roll right now. So it's, it's good to see that list growing. And Ryan and I have put up a bunch of names on blue and illustrated. So uh, check that out. But yeah, it's a, it is a marquee weekend for a reason. There's gonna be a lot of guys here as there is every year and it's continues to grow. And, you know, there's some really, really good spring games around the country. So you're kind of splitting and and sharing some groups of, of, of visitors with other schools. But at the same time, it's still always a strong visitor list for Penn State. And they've they've made a mark or they've made an effort uh, to to uh, to make it work. Look at that. Fitz, for once, we're early on the live show. Got you out two minutes early. So thank wow. you for your time today. I know you got places to be, so I appreciate it. Thank you guys um, for uh, thank you guys for joining us. Remember, subscribe, like, do all the things that he's going to tell you to do, and enjoy Nate Bauer the rest of the time. I mean, you get a bigger screen with it for him if you're watching on YouTube. So yeah, more likes are on the way when when I leave and Nate's coming through. So uh, enjoy everyone. Hope to see you at the tailgate on Saturday. Um, stuff will be posted on the site in terms of where they're going to set up. I think they're going to have a better idea. But my dad made sure that uh, I got a plug in for the or put a plug in on the podcast. So uh, hopefully we see you out there on Saturday. I love blue white because it's it's all the fun of the uh, the regular season without the 
the pressure, without the intensity of it, so we can, you know, kick back a little bit. At least for me, I, I tend to get it really wound up on game day. Mike is right. This video needs way more likes. We got uh, a bunch of people watching and only a handful of likes, so please do that. Fitz, thanks again. Uh, this is a great time to tell you about our sponsor of the show, and that is Rogue Shop. Rogue Shop is the premier sponsor of the BWI Live Wednesday show. They are, if you don't know at this point, they are a... Uh, craft cannabis farmers specialize in small batch sustainable plant medicine and uh, they're from wisconsin small indoor grow facility in big 10 country and uh, they focus on the health benefits of cbd and thc to help you live a better life sleep anxiety um you know pain is a huge one for uh, richard who is a retired veteran and uh is is really focused on giving people a better form of life a better existence um, through some of the things that go through you, you can encounter in your life. If you've got any of those issues, another one is I talk a lot about inflammation. Inflammation is one of the silent killers in humans because it is the, the basis of which a lot of really bad problems in your health develop from. It's just inflammation in your body. CBD has been uh, scientifically proven to reduce inflammation throughout the body. Uh, they've got a lot of different ways you can take this stuff, by the way. You don't have to take just the gummies. They've got some lollipops. They've got some more direct ways you can do uh, uh, CBD as well. So check that out, rogueshop.com. And once again, I buried the lead. Nate would be disappointed in my in my auditory writing skills here because it's 10% off when you use promo code BWI. Rogueshop.com. Don't forget to use discount code BWI for 10% off. Um, and if you go to rogueshop.com, you get that information. Let them know you're coming from the live show and let them know T. Frank sent you so that you, uh, you get that discount and you help us out. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, Nate, let's get into some of the other stuff that we uh, saw yesterday. We got a, a bit yeah. of a blue-white preview. We're going to get back to that at the end because we've got a couple questions about blue-white game in the BWI mailbag. So if you're here in the chat, if you're watching the show, throw your question in now, and we'll get to it at the end. Uh, and if you're watching throughout the show, you got a question, we'll get to some of those throughout if they are you know, on topic of what we're discussing or... If you just got a question, throw it in at the end for the mailbag show so that we have, uh, you know, stuffed full mailbag. We can answer your questions at the end. Um, but what were your observations from yesterday? We talked about the, the kind of big picture of spring practice coming to a close, blue-white game. But this week is also this week. You know, it's kind of its own time capsule. So your yeah. observations from the defense, um, anything stick out to you, any tidbits that you uh, want to share from your article over at bluewhiteillustrated.com, which you should go check out right now uh, or after the show if you're watching. Yeah. Um, I guess. Look, I 
I'm always going to give you the same answer here, which is, oh, did you, I forbid you from saying nothing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Uh, yeah. I, I thought that it was interesting to not see Hakeem Beeman uh, in the top two teams on, on defense. Right. Uh, curious to see what's going on there. See, right. I mean, defensive tackle is just such a big spot. Uh, obviously as a storyline for this team and this program this offseason that uh, he he practiced, right? I mean, I saw him go through all the, the normal drills and those lines. Uh, so to, to not see him with those first two teams uh, was probably the most significant thing uh, for me coming out of, uh, out of that practice yesterday. But, uh, you know, look, uh, you're lacking Tyler Elston. So what mm -hmm. does that do to the Mike linebacker situation? Uh, you know, that Tony Rojas and Tamir Robinson are involved, right? The, the numbers I think for, for linebacker, just uh, as, as Fitz said earlier, I haven't been with the defense for earlier practices. He has, um, but seeing that firsthand to, to, to just not see the numbers, I guess for, for linebackers is kind of interesting to me, even if they have, guys there with or without, right? I mean, Abdul Carter's still Abdul Carter. Uh, Curtis yep. Jacobs is still Curtis Jacobs. They're, they're still impressive guys. Um, it's just a matter of how, how depth shakes out and, and how different things uh, maybe rearrange once you have a full allotment of, of all of your players. The, the percentage, you know, having spent time with both sides, the percentage of scholarship guys when you're watching the drill, versus the run-on guys is pronounced. Like, oh, wow, there's almost an even split at times between guys that you know are scholarship players and the guys that are run-ons. And, and nothing disrespectful about those guys, but, you know, yeah. when you're when you're projecting the depth chart in the two deep, you, you might get a little concerned. But um, that, I think, is is a, a great point about the defense. With James Franklin talked about um, where they are this spring and how... Uh, things may have met his expectations or not met his expectations. And he listed off special teams, which we'll, I think we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but he did say, like, the main competitions are still the main competitions. Yeah. Receiver and defensive tackle. Those are not decided. Did, did you ever expect defensive tackle to be decided this spring, given the situation? No. Um, I, I wouldn't say decided. I, I guess there could have been a... Uh, an assertion, right? Like somebody, somebody could have stepped to the forefront. I, I, I don't know that being realistically or, or being realistic or honest that anyone expected Zane Durant to be the player that he was last spring to mm -hmm. right to, to have made kind of that move. But then even then, once you got to the season, that storyline, and, and I think he was dealing with uh, some injury it's at mm -hmm. various points through the season. But he wasn't, he wasn't, I'm not saying that he didn't live up to the expectations that eventually were set for him yeah. because he was such a buzzworthy player last spring, yeah. but like, it, it's just a matter of being realistic, right? Like being realistic about who these players are and what they do. And for yeah. defensive tackle without Kaziah Izzard, right? Like we didn't get to see him. He, he hasn't been practicing this spring. So without him, without that piece of the puzzle, it's just it's just really hard to get a gauge uh, of, of who and where these guys are. But I do think it's somewhat relevant that, you know, it's not it's not like one of the major thrusts 
this spring was, oh, Jordan Vandenberg has like the lights come on, right? That the light is just uh, yep. flipped on for him. And he's a different player this spring than he was the, the year before. Um, yep. some, sometimes that happens, but also sometimes it doesn't, right? Sometimes these guys are who they are and yep. there, there's a little bit of a ceiling there. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just going to be interesting to watch how they treat that position this offseason and importantly whether or not there's somebody out there. If there if yep. there's a Chop Robinson out there, they're going to they're going to go get him. They're going to yeah. do everything that they can to to make that happen. There are people who are replying directly to our YouTube channel trying to get to James Franklin in any way possible. Like they're they're <laughs> addressing James on our channel in the comments. So it, the defensive tackle in the portal is a screaming need for everyone uh, who, who watches Penn State football and, and who's heard James Franklin talk about it. And he made that comment yesterday. Uh, you know, he, he the opening salvo, where last year it was, he was talking about it at the beginning of spring, he hasn't been as upfront about, like, recruiting through the media uh, as he was last year at defensive end, but it yep. is something he talked about this year of, okay, it seems like he kind of feels how you do that there hasn't been the light come on for anybody they were hoping. So now it's about addition. It's not about the depth bubbling to the surface. And going back to Zane Durant quickly, I think yep. that's a really interesting conversation because you mentioned the buzz for him last spring, but I think the context of, of what he did was important where he was a part of their third down package by the end of the season as a pass rusher. You know, mm -hmm. he's not going to be an every down player as a true freshman at defensive tackle. Uh, at least that was um, not how it played out. And whether or not that was the anticipation of the coaching staff going in and it didn't quite meet that, or if that was the over anticipation of everybody else, I think that was part of the conversation. My concern would be this year if he isn't, um, and he doesn't take a significant step forward to be kind of a standout player, yeah. is that not the progression you would want from a guy who who made that step so early and then if he kind of plateaus this year is that an issue for that group on top of the fact that they don't have the numbers and the standouts and everything we just talked about yeah I don't think I don't think that's really a question I think that he's I, I mean I think that James talked about him yesterday uh, that he he has had a good spring he has been mm -hmm. um good this spring so no, I don't. I don't think. I don't think there's any concern there. It's just a matter of, you know, there's just there's varying degrees of this conversation, right? Is is defensive tackle a weakness? I, I wouldn't say so. I, I don't think that's. I don't think that's where they're at. Are there vulnerabilities in how they are currently positioned in that group in terms of having a variety of size, uh, having different players who can fulfill different roles. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I, I think so. I, I mean, I think that that's a fair critique and that's a fair weakness of that group going into the summer, but it doesn't change Zane Durant being a good, reliable option who is still, I mean, he's, he's kind of young to this, right? Like yep. this is, yeah. This yeah. Is yeah. New to him. And so it's, it's just a matter of can't, can he be like an all conference player? Maybe. Maybe, but is that is that necessarily a fair expectation? I'm not sure, but I, yeah. but I do think I do think that he is. I haven't heard anything. I haven't been made aware of anything to suggest that he's not on the same path. That he's still yeah. that he's that he's not on the same trajectory uh, of of getting better that you would hope for 
from a sophomore player. Uh, some of the things I saw last night myself, I was with the offense checking out some of those guys. And by the way, you can check out, uh, we'll have some previews of the blue white game coming up this week here on blue white illustrated on YouTube um, of the offense and the defense. What I was interested in yesterday was looking at the offensive line, getting kind of an update or refresher right before the blue-white game about what was going on. A lot of position versatility practice uh, yesterday. So you had some guys that are normally guards playing with the tackles, some tackles that are normally guards, uh, you know, vice versa, and then some guys playing center and getting some reps at, at guard. So I asked James Franklin about this uh, yesterday uh, in the post-practice press conference. And, you know, like, what's the value overall for the team in getting guys that you know is somebody gonna is somebody gonna show you that they can play tackle to the level of maybe we'll switch out our tackle rotation or maybe somebody competes for a job and what he talked about i think to start was pretty interesting about how it's not just about who can do it and who can take on that responsibility position flexibility but who can't like who is absolutely at one position and you're not going to move around and who can play between positions. And I think that does affect in a lot of ways, uh, starting rotation, all those things. Cause if you know, a guy can play two positions, he, you might not emphasize him at a key position like tackle, right? Cause you know, you can get him in a guard a little bit and you can, um, you have that kind of versatility in your back pocket. So somebody who is kind of locked into a position might see more reps there because that's the only place they're going to get those reps. And then generally like, it didn't sound like they are to the point where they have their nine or 10 deep. It was very specific. It seemed pretty clear that like they're hovering around seven to eight guys that they like. And yep. they, there's a clear drop off after that. So kind of reading between the lines there of if you have nine or 10, that's great, but it didn't sound like, and, and from what I observed, they're not planning like that right now. Um, so that's again, what we, we saw from yesterday. You have thoughts? Yeah. Well, just, they, they don't have a, they don't have a one-to-one backup situation right now they're, they're like right yeah. the the left tackle isn't backed up by necessarily the immediate like someone who is always practicing at left tackle uh yep. right and i mean let, let's be honest let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about that position flexibility and finding out who's not able to to rotate right or or yep. change or have that position flexibility and i think in a big way it, it's been drew shelton this this uh this spring is yep uh james franklin talked about it a couple of weeks ago that move to the right side just didn't work um i'm, I'm not saying that it's impossible or that he wouldn't fill in in a pinch i, I think that he would i just think it's a question of if Caden wallace gets hurt at right tackle uh, is is Drew Shelton a long term solution at right tackle? Probably not. They would probably have to to shift things around there to be able to to get the guy in um, that they would want, and that could include moving JB Nelson, right? That it could in, yep. it, it could include some of that position flexibility that you're seeing from other players there on the offensive line. But in a one to one situation, could he be? Could Drew Shelton be the immediate backup? Left tackle, yeah, for sure. Like if Olaf yeah. Shani wasn't available, then that would be a different situation. So it's just I think he's going to have to be either way. Exactly. He's going to have to be no matter what. That's exactly that's where you have that that uh, confidence from last year was oh he yep. did it last year so left is taken care of. It's now can we shore up the right side? Yep. Um, 
we got a, we got a comment here from Steven in the chat. He says, only a few teams, going back to our defensive tackle conversation, only a few teams on the schedule can take advantage of the D, uh, defensive tackle through the run game. I think that's a fair point, too. The team I'm really interested in early in the season is Illinois. Um, exactly. Obviously, <laughs> Illinois. Yep. Uh, so, so, but but here's the other part, Nate, is like Illinois under Brett Bielema has been very good uh, in the sense of they've been a team you've got to be afraid of in some certain, in specific instances. Their defense last year was excellent. They're also losing a couple top 64 players. Does Illinois, have they had the time with Bielema to create replaceable depth? Um, and, and is that going to be a situation? I think in the run game, that is true. But overall, Illinois as a team, I'm still interested to see kind of how it's not just about having one or two good years. It's can you sustain it? And, uh, you know, you've got the regulars on the schedule, but then that game early in the season, one area where Penn State's defensive tackle depth could be tested, not to bring up a whole lot of um, bad thoughts and bad vibes <laughs> <laughs> from a couple years ago. Um Lost my train of thought here. I apologize. Popping over. West Virginia, West Virginia, West Virginia, T. Frank. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm sorry that I looked ahead on the schedule. Uh, I, uh, I, I'm i not bound by that, by the way. That's true. That's true. You... No, but look, uh, the, I, just one last thing about the defensive tackle thing. Uh, acknowledging that there's only a few teams on the schedule that can really exploit it is is kind of the point i think mm -hmm. at where we're at right when you evaluate this program and you evaluate what its opportunities are this season it's changed right it the the storyline isn't about a bounce back year it's not about hey kind of getting out of the funk of 2020 and 2021 it's can they get to the playoff yeah right like and and yeah. maybe that's unfair I, I don't know if that's unfair or not i i am as you know, like the most hesitant person in the world to to try to cite that as being the only standard of success. Yeah. I think that's a garbage storyline and product yeah. of what college football is today. But also, I'm realistic enough to know that internally, that's what they want. <laughs> that's where they're trying to get. Yeah. So if if you if there are a couple of teams on the schedule that can exploit your defensive tackle issues and they are Ohio state and Michigan and maybe Illinois and you lose those games. Ultimately that's a disappointing season. Ohio okay. state didn't Ohio state didn't even do that last year. Like they had no, one run that went for a touchdown. That was a big play, but that was a bust by a linebacker. You know, now the line, the, 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 the offensive lineman got to the second level without any sort of, um, uh, pushback but that was kind of the, the scheme and the system how those things met up there in that one instance is the linebacker didn't get to his gap and then Travion Henderson is a, is is a lot fast is is very much super fast so David asked a question here and I think it's a good question but it's also maybe a little bit missing the point but it is something I want to bring up here talking about defensive tackles how much weight can Zane Durant add over the summer to be able to play with elite size because that's obviously the goal I don't think he'll get much bigger, like in terms of weight, maybe. So he's 276, I think, right now on the official roster. I could see maybe he gets to 280, but that would be, to me, that's the that's the topping out point for his body, is that you? I would think he gets to 280, 281, and that's where you want him to be as a guy who is six feet tall that doesn't have a massively long frame. That's the other thing is like, with all the comparisons to the other undersized defensive tackles, Zane Durant does not have the reach 
He doesn't have the 34-inch reach with the absurdly long arms for his frame. He's kind of built the way that, uh, you know, you would be normally built. So this isn't a guy that's going to be 285, 290 at 6'1". Um, do, do you think that that's even a part of the conversation with Zane specifically, um, getting bigger over the summer, or is other guys you're interested in? I have no idea. I, I, I mean, the only <laughs> thing that's coming to my mind is I, I think that Franklin said earlier this spring, or maybe it was this winter, that Durant had been putting on about a pound a week. Mm-hmm. I believe that was the statement and that it was all good weight. So yeah. what is, what does that give us? Uh, tw- 12 weeks until the start of the season, maybe yeah. 15, 15 weeks. Um, can't, you know, but you would think that there would be a plateau point And then also realistically, he's going to lose weight during the season. Yep. So yeah. right. Where, how does that fall out? I, I don't know, but yeah, I, I would, I, yeah. I'll I'll go two eighty five, right? I, I, I'm not. Sure. I just I, I always one dollar, Bob. I always I always love getting into the weeds uh, over pounds, right? This like, is this is very much a T Frank conversation. I appreciate you participating. I'm honestly, here. I'm here for it. I, I want to hear what you have to say for it. Uh, I don't know how productive this is or how um how uh, valuable this is to the conversation, but I want us to be a fair and balanced show. Vern makes his uh, point uh, here in the chat, which is roundly not liked so far. James Franklin, the only person holding back Penn State. So uh, there you go, Vern. You got your thoughts uh, on camera. Uh, If you want to have a a mailbag discussion about maybe some of those points, bring them up in the BWI mailbag. Uh, Form of a question is, is preferable, and that's coming up at the end of the show. Um, guys, you talk to after practice. I'm going to start with yeah. Trey Wallace because I have been like a bloodhound on this on this idea of what is Marcus Higginson bringing to the Nittany Lions at the receiver position as the coach. And every single week, I see them doing another drill that is about breaking tackles, high pointing the ball, playing through contact, playing in small spaces, and playing big boy football as receivers, breaking tackles, getting upfield. So I asked Trey Wallace, is that fair? And he's like, yeah, that's, that is something that, you know, the, he basically said, yeah, that's a lot of stuff we've been practicing. And um, one of the things he talked about, which I think is obvious for, it to, for him to latch on to, is how to high point the ball. He talked about catching the ball, making sure you're getting it on the way up instead of on the way down or falling back. Um, and just small things like that. I think can be big things for Penn State in terms of we talked about their their ability to make plays in contested catch situations last year and their ability to be open when they're not open. That was a struggle. And and obviously Sean Clifford not throwing the football into tight coverage is a part of that story, but that's also a learned habit too. So with Drew Aller and with this receiving game, where are the strides gonna be made? And I'm not surprised, you know, given uh, what we've heard of Trey Wallace so far this spring that he's latched onto some of these things for Marcus Higgins and the light, I think for a player, if you want to know light has come on just watching him run routes, his routes have been much better this year, much more precise, much more um, explosive out of his transitions and seems to get the position a little bit better. So for me, that was what I latched on to some of the guys I talked to. Uh, you talked to Jay Wan Sider. What interesting things did he have to say? He said a few interesting things, and I don't want to spoil my opportunity to use them for some yeah. stories, but I'm going to. I'm just give me some tidbits. Them. Nate, Nate, just give me some tidbits. Give me some uh, leading 
conversations that you can go to bluewhiteillustrated.com later and hear what Nate has to say if you want to sign up, which you can do that now, $29.99 through now through the end of the summer to get access to premium content. So now I've set you up, yeah. uh, throw the meatball down the plate, hit a home run for me. Well, just, uh, you know, I would say that the longer the the longer that Jay Wan is at Penn State, the more comfortable he is uh, in just saying what he feels. And I, I wouldn't necessarily say that he hadn't done that previously, but last night it was on full display. And the first thing that he said, and it was just kind of an aside, but he was asked about competition and how Nick Singleton and Katron Allen – have that culture in the room and, and how it spurs each other on and more or less uh, Jay one said something to the effect of those two guys cleared out the room, right? Like all of the players that had been there previously are gone because of how good they are and how competitive they are. And so now it's a matter of reestablishing that with other players who can compete with them, right? Like other players who aren't afraid of the competition and want to continue uh, to grind through it. So I thought that was interesting. It just, it, the way that he said it was very funny. I, I guess maybe he had to be there, but um, it was just like, man, he, they, those two cleaned out the room. Um, yeah. Well, the second- diplomacy is the, always the, the nicest way to say stuff, but that's saying that like the players who left did not want to compete. And that is, I think, um, a shot at those guys in a certain way. And maybe it's just being frank and honest, which he probably had the conversation with those guys when they were on their way out the door. But, you know, like you said, being comfortable to say it out loud is a different thing. What, he, what else did he say? He was he was also asked about the West Virginia game. Uh, obviously, he has a history with West Virginia. Uh, and more or less, I mean, not more or less, he said that he wanted to kick their, their rear ends. And I'm being the... Uh, the polite one here. So, yeah. it, you know, it was, it was pay, payback. I mean, I, I don't know where payback would come from, but I, I guess uh, he, he is very, very motivated for Penn state to win its opening game of the season and do so convincingly. It was, it was absolutely April 11 bulletin board material uh, for, for West Virginia and Penn state going into that game. Uh, there were a couple other things he said in passing that I heard overheard while I was kind of wrapping up what I was doing, talking about what I thought was really interesting of, we know we're going to get eight in the box with Nick and Katron next year. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be about making the unblocked defender miss. And, And he's talked about this before. James Franklin has talked about this before, but like laying it on the line of, we're going to we're going to do it this year. It is going to be you can't play with a single high safety because we're going to run away from that guy after we break a tackle and yep. kind of just laying it on the line. Yeah, laying not just it. I wouldn't say just expectations, but also demanding it of those guys that they, he knows they're capable of doing it. And it, it's not going to be like, oh, well, X, Y or Z. It didn't happen. You've got to make that guy miss and you've got to get a touchdown. It's a it's a little bit of the Sean Clifford storyline of mm-hmm. they are they are going to be in his mind and I think what they've seen to a certain extent is pairing the physical ability now with recognition 
right? Which is something that they would not have had last season as true freshmen. They just yeah. they just hadn't had enough time to know what defenses were doing all the time. Yeah. That now they know it. And uh, you know, is is it the same expectation that you're going to have for those guys as seniors or juniors in their cases before they are off to the NFL? Uh, no, a time helps all of those things. It's, that's what development is. But it's just a radically different place to be in after having a season in the books. So they've yeah. had a season in the books that this is their second spring that they've had in the books and Jaywan and, and Mike Yersich and all those guys have been able to impart to, to those particular players, Nick and Katron. What, where's, where's the free man? Where's the hitter coming from? Right. Yeah. It, and it's going to be different all the time. And that's what, exactly what defenses are going to try to do is confuse them. But these guys are capable of recognizing that being able to uh, be prepared for it's it's so funny to me because I always think of it in these con in these terms like <laughs> you're all of this preparation. All of this work is for something that happens like this. Yep. Right. Like it is so fast and it has to become instinctive for them. But that's that's what all of this is about. That's what yep. an entire that's what nine months of offseason are about for those two guys is to put themselves in a position where when it happens, they see it before it happens and make the play because they're that talented physically that they're able to do that. I I love a good conversation. The only downside is I stopped paying attention to the clock. And uh, mm. we spent a good time, amount of time on, on practice yesterday. Here and we, are. we saw yesterday. We do have to get to our final two segments and we're, we're I'm going to make sure we get it in on time. Uh, so let's get to what James Franklin had to say, because this is going to be a big, meaty conversation for Nate between the lines. I'm going to start with his second comment from yesterday. We're talking all about NIL facilities during yep. between the lines. Um, we're going to start with his second comment when he the follow up to the first one about where are you with NIL? And you should go check out, I, I condensed these as much as I could. There's a lot of stuff we're not gonna get to in what he said because it was like five minutes worth of him talking about this. But here is the first quote that we'll get to. Yeah, we still, we still got a ton of work to do. We started out the first couple years where we said we were going to teach student athletes how to be entrepreneurs. That was our NIL model. So we were two years behind everybody else. Um, I think over the last year, we've made significant progress. Um, but, but if you give somebody a two-year start in a, basically a three-year model, you know, I think it's, it's pretty obvious. But what I've been doing is instead of talking to you guys about it, I've been, we've been working to try to solve it you know, as, as much as we possibly can by going out and educating the fan base and the donors about what we're truly competing against. Nate, I feel like I could write a 1500 word essay about him changing his pronoun from I to we when, when talking about trying to fix the problem, yeah. because that's really, uh, the, he said a lot of stuff in there that we need to get to. But to me, the underlying current this whole time for the last 10 years has been I have to try and fix it. I have to yep. get, and now there's a we. There is a group of people working with him to take some of that off his plate so he can be the football coach again. Is that, am I, 
Am I reading into that? Is, is but that's kind of what I've heard from you. Is, is that fair and act? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I think so. For, for the most part, it's 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 hard. I think that Petcraft still has uh, some barriers, some political behind the scenes things that are, have to be navigated. Right? It, it's just a reality of uh, the situation that he walked into. But I I took the I we comment more to be along the lines of. Hey, it, it is, it is everyone at Penn state, right? So, so uh, whether that's James Franklin himself or Dan Kabbala, uh, the, the person who, the director kind of of Penn state's in-house NIL efforts for football, uh, Pat Kraft and his uh, deputy athletic directors, like y- you name it, it is about getting people to understand what it looks like. Uh, the, the thing that is so interesting to me is I don't like James Franklin is holding his nose while saying some of this stuff, right? Like, I, I don't think he loves the notion of NIL and, and what it represents. He, he, I mean, he's as old school as it gets in terms of the value that existed for him as a college football player riding the bus five hours each way for a game, eating a Snickers bar in, in the bus, right? Like on the bus, that was, that was his experience. And it is so, it has been so impactful on his life that he went through that. He values all of those things, but also the, the bigger point of all of this is that's cool. That is Mm -hmm. so great for him in his life. That is not what exists today. It's not, it is not the model that is out there. And the way that Penn state positioned itself, as he said at the start of trying to educate student athletes into becoming entrepreneurs was wildly different from the rest of the landscape. I, I feel a little sheepish because when that came out, I remember thinking, good, like that is that should be a part of the model of education about not just handing uh, kids a bunch of money. And I apologize for using the word kids, young yep. men, a bunch of money yep. and then just g- g- have fun. Good luck with it. Like, but there was the handing the kids a bunch of money part that he's pointing out like, no, no, no. We meant just education. Right. That's all we're going to be doing. And, you know, at the beginning. You know, I was like, good, this is the way it should be. But like, no, for competition, it is that is that was the wrong approach. So, you know, how do you and I think the way the question was phrased was how do you and can you dig out of a hole from facilities and NIL to get back to a competitive footing? And Penn State has been competitive despite all this, right? Like we're talking about all these things, but they've still been competitive uh, in almost every game. Uh, where there hasn't been COVID or, you know, 2021 outside of that Com- competitive on the field, but it's a question of when does that catch up to you? What, well, uh, right. right. If, if you don't have, if you're, if I, and I talked about this all the time, but th- there is a little bit of a home team discount, right? You, you can get away with some stuff. You can, you can not necessarily be at the, the upper end of NIL efforts and, and get away with it. It's just a question of how many things, how many areas are you trying to get away with versus how many areas are you trying to be the best at? And the reality for Penn State is NIL is something that they've tried to get away with. And it's not, I'm not in any way saying that is like an indictment that they haven't tried at all. 
it's simply a matter of the course that was chosen from the Mm -hmm. very first steps of this was counter to everything else that was happening nationally, everybody else nationally. And I'm not saying everyone else, but a good majority nationally saw this as an opportunity to harness the power of their fan bases, their donors, and use it as a competitive edge. That's what like yep. people just fail to wrap their heads around how everything in college football is about that. The yep. NCAA used to have rules uh, preventing media guides from having all color pages because certain programs would go 500 page media guides, all color pages. It was so expensive that the rest of the model couldn't keep up. Right. That was, that was a media guide. It's so stupid, but that's what the NCAA was able to prohibit. Yeah. Like that's just such a small representative sample size of what is happening nationally in NIL. It is. How can we possibly use our resources to our advantage to create a model that attracts players who are good at winning and playing football games to come to our program. If you want to educate them on top of that, that's great. Like that, that's totally fine. But that is not what the thrust was for everyone else. And Penn state is paying for it now by trying to catch up to that. And by trying to reframe the conversation into, Hey, everyone, (laughs) this isn't bad. This is not a bad thing. This is not something to be afraid of. You you ha- you are already donating financially to the football program at Penn State. Yep. We just need you to switch directions in where that money is is going. So I think to kind of I'll- sum everything up, <laughs> what you just said and kind of what James – just flat out what James Franklin has said before, he put it in pretty blunt terms when asked about facilities – which also led into the NIL conversation. The reality is if, if, if you choose and want to compete at the very highest level, you guys have heard me say this before, you can't pick and choose what you're going to compete in. Um, I think the other thing is you guys remember this discussion is very similar to a discussion we had 10 years ago when I was talking about facilities and people were looking at me like I was crazy. Um, and the reality is the people that were aggressive on the front end with facilities, then obviously they're able to shift their focus to the new challenge. So um, the reality is, as you guys have heard me before, whether it's facility, whether it's staff size, whether it's alignment, you know, whether it's NIL, uh, whether it's all these things, if you truly want to compete at the highest level, then you can't say we're going to be competitive in these three areas and not in this one. When he's talking about a decade ago, talking about uh, infrastructure, yep. it, it reminded me of the, have you seen the the Internet Explorer meme of, uh, you know, the the one where they're trying to chant and protest and the uh, all the web browsers are saying, what do we want? Faster Internet. When do we want it now? And Internet Explorer goes, infrastructure at the very, like three seconds late because it's always way behind. Having the conversation about infrastructure right now is a decade late in this conversation. And he's saying like, to nutshell, you can't choose anymore. You have to be all in on all of it if you want to be Penn State. If you want to be the national program that you think you are that competes nationally, um, it's got to be all in. And it's not it's not one or the other. 
Uh, any other interesting things, any other interesting tidbits from yesterday that you want to talk about uh, without sharing maybe something you're going to write later this week or no, preview I just, something? I just – I always find it intriguing how the conversation is framed around uh, an arms race as though the winners of arms races aren't ultimately the winners. Right? Like, What do you mean? <laughs> Well, like I don't know, I don't know if I would know what you mean there. It uh, it's an arms an arms race is framed as this bad thing, right? This, this oh like, yeah. Oh well, you're you're mm -hmm. just you're just you're just piling on to pile on, and that's that's the reason why you're doing it is because you're in an arms race. It's counterproductive. You should be diverting resources to other things. But the and again, I mean. I, I'm not taking this to war, but like right. the winner of the arms race is the one who gets to decide what happens, right? Right. Like they are the person, they are the, the thing that is in the dominant position. And so you, you might frame it as an arms race. That's a terrible thing, but college football is an arms race. The, yeah. the winners are winning the arms race. They're the ones who are, Pouring the resources. Georgia did it. Like, go back and look at how these programs built themselves. Look at what Nick Saban did at Alabama. Look at look at Texas. Well, Texas is a terrible example because <laughs> they are spending and they yeah. aren't getting a return on it because they have no longevity. But that's yep. a different conversation. The point is, if you look at the teams, if you look at the programs that are consistently there, not one-off, one-season stories, they, they all are dumping money, resources, time, energy, alignment into the product. Yep. And for Penn State to feel as though it doesn't have to do that, or not only that it doesn't have to do that, but that it shouldn't do that, well, then you can't be surprised by the results, you, you, right? Because in a lot of ways, what Penn State has done thus far under James Franklin for the past 10 years is outperform where it is infrastructurally and resource wise. So that'll That's be the it. last word on that. Cause we got to yeah. get to the people's questions. are spanning the globe, spanning the internet for questions today. We've got some from the BWI message board, which, by the way, the best way to secure a spot on the mailbag is to sign up bluewhiteillustrated.com and go to the Lions End message forum the day of the show um, and submit your question on the mailbag submission thread. You can also do so in the chat, but, you know, we've got about five minutes before we hit an hour. We might go a little bit longer than that. We also have some uh, from our YouTube page, where uh, we have a question that came from our YouTube page as well that I want to get to. Um, so let's start with one of our message board questions because they are, um, I think, bluewhiteillustrated.com, blue white game specific. So Gitney asks, who will the BWI staff be watching during the blue white game and why? Fitz said he's watching the quarterbacks. Nate, who are you watching? Uh, Riley Thompson, Alex Paquetta, uh, Gabe Nwosu, uh, Alex Falcons, and Sanders Sahedek. 
<laughs> well, you got to this question as well. Forget defensive tackle and third wide receiver. Should we be most concerned about place kicker next season? Nate, thoughts? No, not most concerned, but equally. Yeah. Equally? Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think that it's a really great point, and I will leave it to you guys to chronicle that because my uh, observational and analytical skills as a film analyst do not extend to the place kicking. Because I can't tell you if he's doing it right or wrong. I just know if he misses, which literally everyone can see if he misses. Um, but with the guys I'm watching doing the things I just described, quarterback is number one for me as well. I want to learn way more about Drew Aller uh, from my own eyes, my own observations because I'm that way about everything when it comes to football. And then, uh, secondarily, I, I'm interested in the linebackers. I'm interested in how they're going to and what they'll show us about what they're going to be doing with linebackers, knowing that they're a little thin Mike, Mike linebacker, so there might be some things that don't totally translate, but they might. We might see Abdul Carter play a lot of Mike linebacker, and that leads us into our next question here which is from Penn State 2012, with the buzz regarding Tony Rojas, how do you see him fitting into the defense this fall? That is a big piece of this puzzle. So, Nate, how do you break down linebackers in your mind when you're talking about this group, given what we talked about earlier with kind of the depth that, you, uh, that you're concerned with? Is this as much about him being good or as much as they're going to need him next year? Uh, pass. I'm giving Pass. this to you want like you're better at knowing where the pieces fit, but I would just say that, uh, w will he be a f factor? Yeah. I, I think he will be a factor based on, uh, his, a combination of his talent and the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And he should be a comfortable Sam linebacker in this defense because it's not a full-time position given that it comes off the field on third down. And uh, it is the natural progression of where they start most linebackers is at that Sam position, and then they transition as they get older and more mature over to the will. That's kind of how it's been for the, the long run. There's been a couple of blips where, like, Cam Brown played Sam uh, as, as a senior, just kind of the way they were working things together. But I think this is how they want it to go. Um, his progression this offseason has been more than I expected. And it's not like Abdul Carter, because Abdul Carter, the light you saw come on his senior season in in high school, and you saw some of those immediately translatable mental skills with the physical, and you expected him to do something, and then he took it into overdrive once he got to Penn State. Rojas was starting from a very different position of having no experience, essentially, at linebacker. And for him to make up the ground physically and mentally, the mental part is where I'm I'm I want to learn more, because watching him drop into drill, you know, doing just coverage drop drills, he looks really good at it. Like he looks like it's natural to him to turn, to drop, to look for the football. So from the mental side, where is he? And that's going to be something that I'll try to get a couple of clues on when it comes to the blue white game, because that that field linebacker is very coverage heavy. He runs a 4-4. He's perfect for that situation. He is the perfect blend of size and athleticism, but does he get it all yet? And the reports are he's getting a lot of it more than they expected, but that is also not in the context of how much does he need to get for all of it. You know, it's, it's good for what you expected. Is it good for the position? 
And that's another area where I think we're going to have to learn more about how he fits in the defense next year. Dom DeLuca is still going to be part of that conversation. Curtis Jacobs has something to say at the Sam um, on because you've got to keep him on the field with Abdul Carter. This is the this is the rub for next year. So a lot of mix and match, a lot of pers- position versatility. But absolutely at this point, he I think he is a factor. Um, you Good asked problem this- to have too. Yes, right. Like you want that. Let's go into uh, the chat. I want to make sure that I get some of these in. Um, Here's a good one about the offensive line. Nick Shear says, T. Frank, Nate, uh, what do we need to see from the O-line on Saturday to have the reaction of, yeah, this group is really good, better than last year? Um, Do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? You can go first. Okay. I apologize that I'm reading the question, doing the transitions, and then answering the questions. Um, Sorry. No, it's, 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 uh, I love this because this is, you're right. This is exactly the stuff I want to know. I'm looking at like, how are you executing the play? Not necessarily. Did you beat up on, uh, the third string tackle? Like, does it look crisp? Does it look uniform? Does it look like everyone is making the right read? Cause even last year watching a couple of plays where Landon Tangwall came in, I think at tackle and then made, made a couple of mental, uh, mistakes and and that's you you don't want that like you just want to have a clean game so from that perspective you know are guys stepping the right way in the in the blocking scheme are they communicating are they passing off uh the the defensive tackle and getting to the second level are they totally looking the wrong way and whiffing um on on those assignments so it's a lot of those details that phil troutwine has been drilling in all spring and you'll see the result of them one way or the other so tackles for loss might be a place where hmm, yeah, somebody missed a block. You might not know who, but somebody probably missed a block or lost. Uh, and then secondarily, if you get a big run where the running back just goes through the line like a hot knife through butter, that means that everyone got their blocks where they were supposed to. So um, I'd be looking for tackles for loss and big plays. And then that's it is an area where I'm going to be going into the film to try and have the uh, the breakdown afterwards of, okay, that's all the things that we wanted to see. Uh, let's see. Those... I think it's hard to get. I think it's hard to get a gauge of really good, right? You can only see really yeah. good versus like competition, and that will not exist on Saturday. I'm trying to. I had a good plan. Okay, here we go. Uh, let's go to this question from David WG. Do you see KJ Winston fitting into that uh, Tig Brown Prowler or uh, Tig Brown role in the Prowler package? Or uh, will it be Jalen Reed? Now, this comes from something I wrote uh, for BlueWhiteIllustrated.com earlier this week, talking about how you replace Tig Brown and kind of just getting into how the Prowler package works. It, it, I, I think Jalen Reed will get the first crack at it. As the veteran player, older and more mature, but also struggled in coverage last year. So if we're talking about Tig Brown, the pass rusher, I think Jalen Reed... Um, if you want to take advantage of his strengths, he is a really good in underneath coverage. I think he has a better gonna feel for those things. That's where the, he started a couple years ago when he got on the field in in third down defense. Now you got to see what he does as a pass rusher. So I'll be interested in that. And then I think KJ Winston plays a certain role as a coverage player that can drop down. And if you're if you're blitzing and replacing, you might bring KJ Winston down onto that first level. I'm interested to see how they use Zaki Wheatley because I think there's a couple ways you can use him. Center fielder, cleaning up all the errant throws and, and you know, running to the football and getting uh, the instinctive plays. But also, something Tick Brown did last year that they de-emphasized later on 
was he was the spy in the defense where he was reading the quarterback and trying to undercut routes that were thrown under pressure to get interceptions. I think Wheatley would be great at that. I, I would want to see how that works with this offense. Um, when it comes to this stuff, though, Nate, are you expecting to see much of anything when it comes to the uh, <laughs> to third down or some of their packages? No. <laughs> Do you have an IL pal? <laughs> Do you have any questions? I feel like I've dominated the segment, so I apologize. I, I don't. I don't. I mean, I'm I'm spent. I think. All right. Well, then we're done. We're done yeah. here. Yeah. That's the end of uh, the show. Thanks for coming. Thanks for uh, sitting for us and and uh, and being a part of the conversation today on the BWI live show. Make sure you like the video, subscribe, and if you want to catch the full show, you coming in late, you can catch it on replay here on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. That is Nate Bauer. We will be back with more coverage. BlueWhiteIllustrated.com this weekend for Penn State football's blue white game. Friday, we have our recruiting show here on YouTube as well, so stay tuned for that. We'll talk to you then. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older in present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.